For our sermon this morning, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians and chapter 1. And I'll read, beginning at verse 15, down through verse 22, and then I'll read verse 27. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Speaking of Christ, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And but for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might, he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And then we'll read down in verse 27. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples a most important question. And the question was, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And it was a most important question because no one can be saved without a proper answer to that question. Who do we say Jesus Christ is? So many of the people of Jesus' day were in confusion, and they could not give a proper answer to the question. Some of them said he is John the Baptist, others Elijah, still other Jeremiah, one of the prophets. They thought he was a mere man risen from the dead. But Peter answered the question rightly in his most famous confession of faith when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the question, who is Jesus Christ, is still the most important question because our eternal destinies depend upon our answer to that question. We cannot be saved unless we know who Jesus Christ is truly. And there is no other passage, perhaps, in the Bible that gives us a better answer to that question than the passage that we have read of here in Colossians chapter 1. And here Paul declares the most wonderful things about Jesus and the true glory that belongs to him. 
And so we'll work our way down through this passage this morning as we answer the question, who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul answers the question here in a number of ways. In verse 15, he tells us he is the image of God. In verse 16, he is the creator of all things. Verse 17, he is the sovereign ruler. Verse 18, he is the head of the church. Verse 20, down through verse 22, he is the savior. The end of verse 22, he is the judge. And then to sum it all up, Paul tells us that Christ is supreme over all. He has supremacy and preeminence over all. And then in verse 27, he makes that most amazing statement and he tells us that Christ is in you. So we'll look at this passage this morning. The first thing Paul tells us is Christ is the image of God. In the beginning of verse 15, and he is the image of the invisible God. The word image here is the Greek word pronounced icon. And an icon is a representation of someone. And so the idea here is that when we see Jesus, we see the perfect image of God, the living, true representation of the nature of God in the person of Jesus Christ. This is who he has been from all eternity. This is who he has always been, and he will always be the image of God. But it is especially true for us as he has come incarnate, and this is the way that God reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God himself is invisible, and no man has ever seen him or can see him but he has chosen to reveal himself in his beloved son as his son has come into the world as the image of the invisible God. John tells us in his gospel, chapter 1 in verse 18, that no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus tells us that he who has seen me has seen the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. So that all of the glory of God that radiates from him is perfectly seen in the per person of Jesus Christ. He is the exact representation of the nature of God, the image of the invisible God. We might ask the question, well, how much, how much of the Father is found in the person of Jesus Christ? And Paul gives us the answer down in verse 19. He tells us, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness all the fullness to dwell in him. And then he tells us in chapter 2 and verse 9, he explains a little further, and he says there, For in him, in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in him in bodily form. In the person of Jesus Christ, there is deity, all the fullness of deity. And there is humanity as well. And all that fullness of the deity dwells in him in bodily form. 
so that he is that one unique person, that great mystery God and man united together in one person forever. All the fullness of the deity means all the attributes and the glory of God is seen in him. Whatever belongs to God the Father belongs to Jesus Christ. All the holiness of God, the divine power, all the wisdom, the knowledge of God, the eternal nature belongs to him. All of his infinite love and mercy, all truth, compassion, grace, whatever belongs to God the Father belongs to Jesus Christ as well. The word was God, John tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when someone wants to know how can we come to know God the Father, the answer is found by looking at Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. All of God's glory is seen in Christ, the perfect representation of the Father. We turn back to chapter 1. And the second thing that Paul tells us about Jesus here is that Jesus is the creator of all things. In verse 16, he says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He speaks comprehensively. comprehensively. He speaks exhaustively of every created thing throughout the entire universe. There is nothing that exists apart from his creative power and will. Two times in these verses, Paul speaks of all things. Once in the beginning of the verse and once at the end. In the beginning, he says, for by him all things were created. Then at the end of the verse, he says, all things have been created by him and for him. All things, the totality of every created thing. Nothing is excluded here. All things in heaven, all things upon earth of whatever kind, whatever nature they might be, whether they are visible or whether they are invisible, whether they are powers, rulers, authorities, dominions, whatever they may be, they have all been made by Jesus Christ. Most believe that he speaks here of angelic powers in those phrases that he mentions, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, whatever they might be, they have all been created by Jesus Christ and they all belong to him and they are used by him for his own glory. John chapter 1 and verse 3, all things came into being by him and apart from him nothing has come into being that has come into being. Creation is like all the works of the Trinity. All three persons of the Godhead have their role to play. We say that the Father creates through the Son 
and by the agency of the Holy Spirit. And here the focus is upon Jesus Christ who laid the foundations of the earth and all of the stars in the heavens and the galaxies and all things that are upon earth, all plant, vegetation, all life, birds and fish and cattle and every man and woman that exists, all things have been created by him in heaven and upon earth, every power, dominion, ruler and authority. All things are created by Jesus Christ. In him we live and move and have our being. The third thing Paul tells us about Jesus is that Jesus is the sovereign over all things. By sovereign, we mean that he is the one who rules everything in this present world. This is what we see at the end of verse 17, where he says, and in him all things hold together. Everything throughout this entire universe is sustained and held together by the continual power that flows from Jesus Christ. All things that he has made, he now holds them together so that every atom in the entire universe is in its place and fulfills its role by the power that comes from him. Hebrews chapter 1, he upholds all things by the word of his power. The order and the stability of the whole creation is sustained by Christ. He is the sovereign king. He does his will in the heavens above and on the earth beneath, in the seas and in all deeps. He governs kings. He puts them upon their thrones. He takes them down from their thrones. He guides all events. He rules the providences of our lives. Our days are ordained before there was yet one of them. He numbers the hairs upon our heads. There is nothing that is outside of his control. He holds all things together by his own power. In the Bible, in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, we read of that mass of chaos and disorder, and it was formless and without any order. And here we live in this world where there is beauty, order, and harmony in all of the creation all around us. What is it that makes the difference between the two? It is Christ. It is Christ alone. He is the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. If he were to withhold his power for a single moment, the entire creation would disintegrate back into the chaos of Genesis chapter 1. He upholds all things by the word, by the word that comes from him, the word of his mighty power, the absolute sovereign over all things. The next thing Paul tells us is that Jesus is the head of the church. In the beginning of verse 18, he says, he is also head of the body, the church. He has spoken of his salvation back up in verse 13 and 14, where he said he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of our sins. He spoke of salvation there. Now he picks up the same idea here and he speaks of the church. He is the head of the church. The church is the body of Christ. That group of people on earth who are being saved. And just as there is a living organic relationship between any head and any body and its body, so there is this living relationship between Christ, who is the head of the church in heaven, and the church which is on earth. He is the head of the body, the church. He directs the church. He guides the church by his word. He watches over his body. He cares for his church and he protects her. There is this union between the head in heaven and the church on earth. And so that all spiritual life to the church must come from the head alone down to the church. He is the head of the body, the church. And then he says in verse 18, and he is the beginning, the beginning of a new creation. Because that first creation was ruined by sin. And now there must be a new creation. And Christ is the beginning of that new creation. Which is taking place. The new creation is taking place in the church. Because there we are. The new creation. He is the beginning of the new creation. And then he tells us how this came to pass. When he says he is the firstborn from the dead, which speaks of his resurrection. He is the beginning of he is the beginning of the new creation. This is how he is the firstborn from the dead, the first one who had a true and lasting resurrection from the dead. So this is where the new creation began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a new heavens and a new earth that is coming, a new creation, and it began with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he continues the new work in the lives of his people in the church. We are the new creations in Christ Jesus. And then this brings us really to the next point, which is his supremacy. Jesus is supreme which is really a summary of everything that he is saying down throughout this passage. And he has supremacy. The highest possible glory belongs to him. And we understand this from the word firstborn, which we see here in verse 18, where he says he is the firstborn from the dead. And then we see that same word used back at the end of verse 15, where he is the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn from the dead. The term firstborn speaks of supremacy in rank and in dignity. The word firstborn means one who is highest above all others, one who is exalted and who has the highest honor given to him. And this is who Jesus is 
in this passage, it is Paul's summary really of everything that he is saying that Christ is preeminent. He is supreme in rank, in dignity. He is highest in power, honor, and authority. There is no one that can compare to him. The idea really is what Isaiah saw in chapter 6 when he saw Christ upon his throne and he was high and exalted. There is no one who is like him. The same word is used in Hebrews, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 where Paul says he is the firstborn among many brethren. He is the one who is supreme and highest among all of his brethren. The idea is found in Psalm 89 and verse 27 where God promises of Christ, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So in verse 15, at the end of verse 15, he is the firstborn of all creation. So he is the one who has supremacy above and over all of his creation. And so it can be translated that he is the firstborn before all creation, and he is the firstborn over all creation. Now, some have taken those words at the end of verse 15, and by a very superficial understanding of the phrase, they have tried to say that Christ is only the first of God's created beings or that he is only a part of the creation. But Paul is very careful to quickly, quickly remove any such thought by immediately telling us in verse 16 that he is the one through whom all things have been created. He cannot be part of the creation is he is the one who has created all things. He is the firstborn of all the creation, highest in rank, supremacy over all that he has made. And he confirms this again down in the beginning of verse 17, where he says, and he is before all things. He is before all things. This is his eternal nature. He cannot be part of the all things if he existed before all things. He existed from eternity. In the beginning was the word. Before the foundation of the world, he was there in his eternal existence. He is the firstborn. He is supreme in rank before all the creation. So all of this speaks of the deity that belongs to Jesus Christ. Jesus is eternal. He existed before all things, and he created all things, and he is the sovereign who rules over all things. And so he who has the attributes of God and he who does the works of God, he must be God himself, and that's who Jesus is. He is the beginning. In verse, in verse 18, he says again, he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything, that he might come to have preeminence, supremacy in everything. This is what Paul is speaking of here.
In verse 16, when Paul says, Paul speaks of those various angelic powers. He says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, Paul is most likely addressing a heresy among the Colossians at this time. And the heresy said that there are various angelic powers, a hierarchy of angelic powers between us and God. And the way that we come to know God is we must ascend and know higher and higher angelic powers until we come to know God. It was a heresy among the Colossians. We must know something other than the person of Jesus Christ to know God. But Paul here is refuting this error by showing the supremacy of Christ over all things. We do not need angelic powers to come to know God. We know God in the person of Jesus Christ because he is the image of the invisible God and he is supreme over all things, all the creation and over all of his church. The supremacy of Jesus is seen again at the end of verse 16 where he says there, all things have been created by him and not only have all things been created by him, but for him. He is not only the creator, but he is the goal and he is the end of the entire creation. All things have been made for him. All things in this world have been made for the service, for the glory and the honor of the person of Jesus Christ. This is why, this is why there even is a creation. This is why anything even exists in this world. All things have been made by him and they are for him. We see more of his preeminence at the end of verse 18 again. So he himself might come to have first place preeminence in everything. Everything exists for him, for his honor, for his majesty, for his name, so that his name is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and upon earth, and they shall give glory to God the Father, whether they do so willingly or whether they do so unwillingly, every I will see him when he returns and every knee will bow and confess him to be Lord because all things are for him. The goal of the entire creation and the end, the purpose toward which all things are moving is for the glory of Jesus Christ so that all things in heaven and all things on earth all men and angels will bow to him for from him and through him and to him are all things and to him be the glory forever. Amen. The father loved the son and the father has given all things into the hands of his beloved son and all of the creation has been given to him and it is all for the glory of Christ in the end. We often hear these 
debates about evolution versus creation. And we familiarize ourselves with those debates. And I don't know where the Bible even enters into the debate of evolution versus creation. Paul doesn't enter into it in this passage. All he does is declare Christ to be the creator, and that's the end of that. But if one believes in evolution, then one has to believe there is no purpose and there is no meaning in all of life or in all of the creation. We are just a mass of chaos who came together and somehow molecules came together in such a way that here we are as men and women in this world. There is no meaning, there is no purpose to evolution. But the Bible tells us not just God the creator, Christ the creator, but the Bible brings us to the very meaning and the purpose of the entire creation, which is for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ, because all things have been made by him and for him, so that he might have first place in everything, in all of his creation. This is what John sees in the book of Revelation. When all of heaven gives honor to Jesus Christ for all eternity. And they sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing in every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. John says, I heard them say, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Christ is supreme over all things. The next thing Paul tells us here in the passage is that Jesus is Savior. He is the Savior. We read this in verses 20. Through the beginning of verse 22, he says, and although, and, and through him, he says, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. In verse 20, he speaks of Christ reconciling all things in the creation, all things on earth and all things in heaven. He does not speak here in verse 20 of men. He speaks of things, creation, created things. The fall brought a curse upon the entire universe so that the entire creation was stained and corrupted by human sin. And Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 8, where he says that the creation was subjected to futility, and so the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. There is corruption and stain throughout the entire creation. The whole creation groans. But Christ has reconciled all things so that whatever alienation there was in all things in heaven and upon the earth, they have all been reconciled. And there is only one way 
of that reconciliation. And it is by the blood of his cross that he mentions there in the, in the beginning, in the middle of verse 20, he says, he made peace through the blood of the cross, the blood of his cross. Then in verse 21 and 22, now he speaks of us, the Colossians, and he speaks of us as sinners. And the only way of our reconciliation is through the same blood of Jesus that was shed upon the cross. In verse 21, he tells us our natural state by our sin. We were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. He mentions three things there about what sin has done for us, to us. He says we are alienated from God, separated from him. We have no knowledge of him by nature. We have no relationship with him, estranged from him. And then he says that we are hostile in mind so that the very thoughts of the natural man are enmity against God. And Paul tells us this to tell us how deep sin has gone into us. That it is not just something superficial, but it has gone down into the depths of our being so that our very minds, our souls are against him. We are hostile against God by nature. Then that hostility of the mind produces the outward life, he says, engaged in evil deeds, all kinds of sins and transgressions, and the whole life of disobedience that is against God and flows from that sinful nature. But there is a reconciliation that has taken place, and the only reconciliation, the only way of reconciliation is by his fleshly body through death in verse 22 and through the blood of the cross in verse 20. This is the only way that peace can be made with God. Human sin is infinite in its offense. And so it takes the infinite one to come down from heaven and to shed his blood upon the cross and to take our sins away. The blood of the cross the blood of his cross, Jesus, is the only way of peace and reconciliation with God. The last thing Paul tells us here in this paragraph is that Jesus is the judge at the end of verse 22. He says, in order to present you before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. He speaks of the day of judgment when Jesus will return from heaven and every man and every woman who has ever lived will stand before him and for believers he will present to himself his church in all of her glory and they will be holy, blameless and beyond reproach. All believers he will do so. He will present to himself his people, and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. But for unbelievers, they will stand before him as well, and he will speak those most terrible words that have ever been spoken 
depart from me, I never knew you, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels, and they will be cast away into the outer darkness forever. He is the judge of all men, and every man will stand before him on the last day when he returns. So God has appointed Christ to be the judge of all men. In all of these things, we see the glory, the supremacy of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then we come to the last thing this morning, which is down in verse 27, where Paul says, Christ in you. That little phrase at the end of verse 27 is where we focus our attention now. And Paul says there, Christ in you. Three little words. A most astonishing statement. One that we could never have imagined. That Christ is in you. It is the promise that Jesus spoke of in the upper room. Where he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And we will make our abode with you. And we will come and dwell in you. This is what he does to every believer. He comes to dwell in us by the Holy Spirit. We speak of union with Christ, where we are united to him and he is united to us. But here we speak of something even greater than union with him. Here we speak of his coming to indwell us. Christ has come to dwell and abide in us. Christ is in you. We speak of the same person that we have been speaking of throughout this entire passage. The one who is the image of the invisible God. The one who has power and wisdom of creation and all things have been made by him and for him. The one who is upon a throne of sovereignty who holds all things together by the word of his power. The one who has supremacy and preeminence over all the universe. He is the one that Paul still speaks of here. He has come to dwell in you. Christ in you. Perhaps everything that Paul has been speaking of seems in these previous verses, perhaps it seems distant and far above us. It is. He is the incomparable Christ. There is no one who is like him. But here we find something that is most near to us. Here we find something that is within us, that he has come to dwell in us. He speaks of the blood of the cross. 2,000 years ago, he shed his blood upon a cross to reconcile sinners. What does that have to do with us today? The one who made that reconciliation is risen from the dead. He is exalted back into heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit. He is now Christ who is in you. Will he accomplish everything in salvation that he intended when he died upon that cross? Yes, he will, because he is now Christ who is in you. 
Salvation accomplished by Christ. Now salvation applied by Christ as he comes to dwell in us. Let me mention some things that Christ in you means to us. The first thing is that it means, it means conversion. This is conversion, Christ in you. That's what Paul speaks of back in in verse 21. You see that he mentions that we were, he says, you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds. Formerly, formerly. This is what we once were. Formerly alienated from God. But now Christ has come and dwells in you. Formerly hostile to him in mind. But Christ has come now to dwell in you. This is a new creation. This is how he brings it about. A transformation. Christ has come to dwell in you. So that we are no longer hostile in mind anymore. No longer hostile in our minds to God and to his word. No longer hostile to his son. But we love his son. We love his word. We love his truth. We love his people. We love his worship. And we no longer engage in those evil deeds. A great change. This is a very great change. When Jesus Christ comes to be in you, what greater change could there ever be than Christ in you? This is experience. This is Christian experience. When Christ is in you, when Christ, the one with power and supremacy, when he comes and dwells in you, you will know you will know that something has happened to you and a great transformation has begun. You are being renewed, Christ, in you. However it takes place in different people, in different ways, it is experience, Christian experience, and you will know that Christ has come to do his great work in you. So very great will be the change and people will begin to see the difference in you when you become a Christian. They will see how careful you are to please the Lord Jesus. Other people will begin to see that you are very diligent to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments best you can by grace, other people will begin to see the great change in you. And they will wonder, well, how did this come about? And who, who made this all come about? And here is the answer. Christ is in you as the Savior. This is sanctification. Because we were once alienated, hostile in mind, Engaged in those evil deeds, as verse 21 says. But then he tells us at the end of verse 22, what we become in the end. We become holy. We become blameless. We become beyond reproach. He takes us from what we once were to what we shall be in the future. How did that come about? That is sanctification. 
That is the great work and process and transformation of sanctification that takes us from what we formerly were to what we shall be. We are not there now, but we desire to be there, but we are making progress toward that great end. And how does it come about? Christ in you is the power, the certainty, and the effectualness of our sanctification. This is how the great change takes place. Christ in you. This shows us the power of sin that is within us, does it not? Because how can there be a salvation unless Christ comes in you? This shows us how we are conformed into his image, Christ in you. He conforms us into his image. This is assurance of salvation because that's what he is doing in us. He is bringing us to that final goal. That's why Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what it ultimately means. He is working to bring us to glory. The head is risen, and the head of the body has ascended. And now the head of the body dwells in every member of the body on earth, and he is working, and he will bring about that final end, and he will bring all the members of his body to be with him. They will be holy, beyond reproach, blameless before him on the last day. This is the assurance of our salvation, Christ in you. This is supremacy. This is supremacy in our lives, Christ in you. Because when Jesus Christ comes in you, he takes the throne of your heart and you give it to him willingly in the day of his power. He will not take second place to any other rival. He will not allow sin to have dominion in you. He will not allow you to continue in the love of the world, in the ways of sin, in the love of all the things of this present world and your own pleasures and your own will. No, he comes to have supremacy. The one who has supremacy over all the creation, the one who has supremacy over all things, he comes now to have supremacy in us, Christ in you, supreme over all of our wills. One man who wrote on this passage, he started his commentary this way. He said, Jesus did not come into the world for us, but we came into the world for him. That's what the world is all about. It's about him, it's not about us. This is the great orientation, the reorientation, the transformation of our thinking that takes place when we become Christians because we once thought everything was about us. We thought that we existed for ourselves. 
We thought that we were here to pursue our own ways, our own thoughts, our own ambitions, to carry out our pleasures. No, we are here for him, and he is supreme, and Christ now comes in you to begin to establish that supremacy. If Christ is in you, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. The last thing we close this morning is that Christ in you, this is the true meaning, this is the true happiness and the purpose of life for us in this world. There is no higher purpose for us to live by than for him, to please him and to do his will, to know him more, to love him and serve him. This is the only way that we can be happy, Christ in you, supreme in us. This is why there is so much confusion in the world. This is why we see so much depression so much hatred, so much evil in the lives of so many people in this world, and no one knows what they are doing here or where they are going. They have no meaning. They have no purpose, and they can find no true happiness. This is the only way to meaning and happiness is Christ in you. And Paul would tell us that if we repent of our sins and if we come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what he says here will be true of us as well. Christ in you, Christ comes to dwell in everyone who believes in him and he begins to remake us and he begins to change us into his image and he alone can give us hope and peace and joy and happiness and looking forward to the day when he will return in all of his glory. Let's pray together. Father, gracious God in heaven, O oh Lord, we thank you for the glory of your beloved Son and all that belongs to him, the one who is the image of God, the creator, the sovereign, the ruler, the upholder of all things, the one who is the savior of sinners by the blood of the cross and who has come to dwell in each of his people. Lord, renew our hearts by your grace and send to us your power that we would serve you, love you, and do your will. We do thank you and bless you Pray that you would be at work in each one of us to save us. Whoever here does not know the Lord Jesus, may this be the day that Christ comes to be in them. Lord Jesus, hear us now and bless your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.